Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello everyone, I'm Carlos Chapman and I'm your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington Elise Law School. Today's episode is a part of our entrepreneurship series and I'll be highlighting Don Dixon, a serial entrepreneur who has founded six companies since 2001. I'm very excited to talk with Don today because she also holds patents and is an angel investor and a business advisor. So I hope we can give other entrepreneurs some tips on what she's looking for when she invests in a business. Now let's get into the discussion. Don, I gave a brief introduction of you, but I would love to hear how you introduce yourself in your elevator pitch. I I definitely call myself a serial entrepreneur, inventor, investor, author. So, you know, that's that's how I call that's what I thought. You know, I, I'm CEO of Popcom, but it's just I have so many businesses now. Um, I just put it in the serial entrepreneur category. So what did you do before you started starting your own businesses? I've pretty much been an entrepreneur my whole adult career. Um, I had a corporate job for about eight months before I quit to start my first business in 2001. So I've been a full-time entrepreneur since 2001. Oh, wow. So you only worked corporate for eight months. Uh, yes, what what kind of corporate experience did you get? I worked at um, Nationwide Insurance and, and, and I worked for an... Um, company that is a subsidiary of Nationwide Insurance called Insurance Intermediaries. And I was doing marketing and business development for Nationwide Insurance agents and helping them to, I was marketing brokerage products. And um, it it was a transition time in the business because they were moving from faxes as a marketing tool to email. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to school for information technology and also went to school for journalism. And so after I finished going to school for IT, I was really savvy, you know, with the Internet and I could build websites and I could do a lot of things like a code that people couldn't do. And so the job was a marketing role, but it really was a job bringing that company into the the, the 20th century at the time, you know, bringing that company from faxing to um, web based marketing. So what made you decide to take the leap so short into your corporate career? Because I really came in and changed the way they did business and really improved their systems by taking them from paper to online. And I realized that I could do that for myself. And there were a lot of other industries that need to move from paper to online. And I had a skill set that they couldn't afford me, basically. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, even though I got paid well, I was getting paid. As a 21 year old, 45,000 a year. Um, but it still was like, I know it's worth more than this. I know my skill set is valuable. So, what was the first company that you started? It was called the Urban Star. And um, it's it was an entertainment and event site. So, I took all of the paper flyers that everybody would hand out to let you know what parties or events to go to and made that digitized. So, I turned it, I created an online site for entertainment events, restaurants, concerts, that this was, it sounds regular now, but back then there was no social media. There were no such thing as a smartphone. And the only way to find out what was going on was to get a flyer in your hand or word of mouth. 
And so we were one of the first websites in the country that was act- were actually just a purely event and entertainment site. And I think, you know, the kids don't understand that before Instagram, like I remember those days when like my sorority be hosting a party or so, and you literally have to see it posted somewhere or somebody would leave one on your car. There was no way to know what was going on. There was no Instagram. And then it's like, what if you miss out on one of the flyers or like, there's so many different options. And then also you can't tell if it's a good event. You, how do you pick? So we also had like a feature on our site where we would um, show like how the club looked on the inside. So we would do pictures and videos and we would do the streaming video before YouTube. So you know, in hindsight, it was very revolutionary. And, you know, I would have been a multimillionaire off of that if I would have been in Silicon Valley. But we were in Ohio. We were young, just building, you know, building technology in Ohio. And even though I did really well in Ohio, I certainly didn't make millions off of that business. It was just a good lifestyle business. So what was your first I'm making millions off the business business? I think that the first one would be the what the business is now. Um, and still, you know, my personal millionaire status is really comes from owning multiple businesses that that are multi-million dollar businesses and then me making investments with the money that I make as a business owner, reinvesting those things and generating money. So I've never had like a company pay me a salary of millions. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it doesn't never work like that because obviously if you have a business that makes millions of dollars, that means you have overhead. And so million dollar businesses have a lot of expenses, for example, easily for my payroll and my bills to be $150,000, $200,000 a month. Wow. So we, right. And that's at a low end. I have friends who definitely are spending a million dollars a month just in operational costs. So it, the, the bigger the business, you know, the bigger the expenses. That's why sometimes as a as an entrepreneur, you got to think about how big do I want the business to get? If you want to make a certain salary, you can do that without having a big business. You just pay yourself more and keep the business as a smaller business. So you got to really think about what you want out of it. So having a, you know, my tech company is now worth $26 million. So I'm 39% owner. So they're alone just in net worth value that puts me in, in the millions category. But of course you can go to the grocery store and spend equity and buy groceries. So you, you know, I got to pay myself a salary and I do pay myself a competitive CEO salary, but I take my salary and I make other investments. And that's how generally people become wealthy, not from a salary, but from ownership, equity, inheritance, dividends, and things of that nature. So what kinds of companies are you focusing on now when you're choosing what to invest in? Um, now I just think that I'm interested in things that I like, things that I can add value, things that I have, you know, knowledge of, because I invest in early stage companies like startups, because I know a, a five, ten, twenty thousand dollar check can go a very far away for a company that's just getting started. So I want to add more than money so I can bring connections or help bring customers. So I definitely like to invest in things that I can add value to the founder beyond just just money. And then I invest in things on my own. I mean, my husband and I are always like opening up new businesses and trying new things in our communities, just, just different passion projects. So I do invest in those things. I invested in a restaurant, yoga studio, a VR studio, RV business all in the past year. And these are things that we've opened up, um, no, past two years, things we've opened up in our, in Columbus where, um, where we live. So, and then I invested in about 20 other startups and small businesses that I don't run. Wow. You know, one thing I work with uh, small businesses and one thing people in the community say 
is, you know, Amazon is not paying your property taxes. Amazon is not gonna, you know, be at your school, the person at your physical school drive. Um, yeah. So I love that you are having these nationwide companies, these big super companies, but then bringing it back home uh, to build those smaller businesses. Cause that really is what the backbone of a community is. It is. And really, I mean, yeah, all small businesses are, are the backbone of this country, really. Um, most people, that's who is employing most people besides, you know, a Walmart or Amazon. But when you think about in the community, it's, it's a lot of small businesses that are the ones keeping things going. And that's why when small businesses were the one hurt the most during the pandemic and not getting these bigger checks that the larger corporations are getting, you know, a lot of it was a it was a rough time for for a lot of businesses. Um, I'm just happy that all of us seem to have made it out on the other side. But it definitely was challenging for me as well. So what companies are you personally owning and focusing on now? I'm the CEO of Popcom. So that's my everyday job. This is my Popcom office right here. And it's what I do. This is my like job, right? Like I have a job and I get a salary. Then I have companies that I own, including Flat Out of Heels, which are rollable flats for women. And I've had that business for 11 years now. Yes, 11. And then my company, D1 Consulting Group, that's my personal business where now I just do coaching and I, my book is coming out under that. I do my speaking engagement under that business, but I've been doing consulting for 15 years. So it's just like various things that I've done, mainly marketing, business development, fundraising for the past 15 years underneath, now 16 years under D1 Consulting. Then I have a company called The Bougie Nomad, which I'm actually selling now. And it's an RV and glamping business. It does really well. It's a camper that I rent going outdoorsy. And it's a nice business, a very good cash flow business. It's one of my favorite businesses that I have. The only reason I'm just selling it, I'm just ready to liquidate um, some things, but it did well, you know, it definitely makes money, never had a losing month. So I would say anybody getting arrested in like the, um, the camping and glamping is a really booming industry that's growing fast and very little representation of black people. So it's really great opportunity to make money at the yoga studio. I transitioned to a space for that people can rent out um, for multiple things. So now um, my husband opened up a VR escape room. So we have that and it's using like Oculus headsets and you do go through like a escape room, but you're in virtual reality. So that opened up last month and it's, it's doing good. You know, it's just a new business, a new concept. So something we're trying right before COVID I opened a restaurant with, um, some friends and I exited that. So I sold my share. So I helped to grow the business, launch it, open it up, get it all launched. And after eight months, I sold, I sold my part of it. So that was great. Cause that was my first exit and it's still going on. It's still successful. And I still go there and eat, but I'm not the owner. So my dream is that all of these businesses go on without me and I'm not the owner, but I can still support them and, um, you know, be, be a customer. That's a very unusual approach, I would say. Um, um, and that's why I think it's important to seek out investors who are like you. Because um, I find, you know, a lot of people will take money from people who aren't like them. They'll take money from the big VC firms. And those people's goal is to keep the company, not to exit. Um, so I think, you know, it's important to know what kind of investor you are getting as well. Yeah, I mean... It, that's that's definitely true. There's so many types, different types of investors. You know, obviously, angel investors were people. You have crowdfunding, you have venture capital. You have, um, then you can go, you know, the bank route. But it is important to to when you are starting the business to kind of understand where you want to go with it, so that that can kind of shape 
the path and the approach. For example, if I was building a family business that I want to keep in my family for 100 years and be one of those family businesses, you shouldn't take investor money. They're not going to get their money back anytime soon. And it would take decades, you know, for, for, you, for you to do that. So that's why generally using debt and loans is how people build those kind of businesses. But if you want to build a business that you know you're going to sell and then there's going to be some liquidity there, then that's a good opportunity for investors because you can show them that you're going to be able to give their money back. So it just depends on what you want, where you want to go with it. And also how long do you want to devote to it? Some of my businesses, like the RV business, I just started it just to do it for two years. That was my plan. I'm going to do this business for two years, get some money out of it, um, enjoy the RV for personal use and then flip it. And I'm doing that now. But, um, you know, Popcom I've had for 10 years. So I knew I was in a long journey. Um, flat out I've had since 2011. So now we're almost on 12 years. So I knew that was going to be a long journey, but I'm ready. You know, 15 is long enough for me. So <laughs> planning my exit. Now let's talk about Pop Shop. Um, it is in airports, right? Um, let, explain to everyone what it is, because every time I tell people about you and your businesses, we all realize we have used them including the, the flat out heels and the pop shop. So let's start with that one. Well, Popcom is the business and we build hardware and software. Pop shop is one of our products and it's a vending machine that essentially brings the e-commerce experience to vending. It has all of the features, functionalities, um, technology of a website, but then the product just dispenses on site. So it, this really makes it easier for products, for people to sell products direct to customer faster and don't have to worry about shipping. And it's just a great way to just get a product out without opening your own brick and mortar location. And so during COVID, um, a lot of the small businesses, you know, they really were the most impacted and people started to shop local more because of supply chain and logistics. So my head of business development over at Popcon came up with a great idea to come up with a program called Pop Shop Local, where we feature local locally made, locally sourced products in the vending machines in airports, hotels, and locations where, you know, it will give exposure to local brands and also help local brands get the platform to really grow an opportunity to be seen in these venues where the barrier to entry is very high. And so that's what we're doing now. We have 12 machines out now and we're raising money actually now on Start Engine to put out 10 more. And then we're going to then focus on a strategic partnership to then really, really scale. But our um, our goal, like as a company, is to launch the first 24 on our own and really just demonstrate it and then take that model and partner with a, another company that really can help us to scale that. But we're we're always looking for local small brands in all the markets. So like not even small. I mean, we, we really focus on brands that are doing a half a million plus in revenue because they generally have the money they can invest in a new type of distribution or marketing channel. But we're always looking for like small businesses that would like to be in airports and hotels to apply for Pop Shop Local. So tell us some places where we could find the the Pop Shop machines. I mean, yeah, there's one in Columbus Airport. There's one in New York Hilton. There's one in Metro in San Francisco, Concord Mills Mall, North Carolina, there's one, I'm trying to think of all the locations in Dallas, Texas. There's one in LA in the Beverly Center Mall. So we're just like really focusing on high traffic, popular venues, hotels. There's a few malls because Beverly Center is a tourist destination mall. So it's, you know, it gets good traffic. But um, we have one in Qatar. 
Uh, we have one. Oh, goodness, I know I'm leaving out Cleveland, Ohio. Um, new one going into Atlanta next week. And we have one going into a university. So we have, you know, we're rolling out 10 more. We're just continuing to place them. But right now you can just look for them kind of in a location near you or, or go on our website, popcom.shop. And we have like a location where, you, a, a, you know, like a location finder. So you can just see a map of where they're all at. Yeah, I've seen, I saw one in Dallas, which made me, um, you know, reach out to you. And mm -hmm. it's just really a cool, it, it just makes sense, right? It It's so convenient, right? You know, when you think about, you know, if you want to shop, if you want, and you don't want to, and everyone is doing self-checkout and that's super annoying. Yeah. And to be able to get products on your own in an easy way, direct, instead of dealing with brick and mortar and dealing with all the hassle, like it's really, really a brilliant idea. Thank you. That's what I thought, you know, and it took me actually 10 years to to execute that um, at now. You know, I put my first vending machine. It took two years, but I went through five different prototypes, five different machines before I finally found the one. So it's a long journey. So I really appreciate that you used it and you saw it because, I mean, for a long time, I wasn't even sure. I felt it inside, like I knew I could do it, but like every obstacle possible was coming to keep me from doing this and seeing it through. Now, you know, what made you persevere? You know, what was your make or break moment when you said, I'm going to push forward and do this anyway. I've got other businesses, but this one is the one. Well, I still don't think I know how to do it. This one is the one. I think that's my problem. I can't pick a business. <laughs> Um, but listen, it's, I have three that I really love. So I think because I know the demand, right? Like the business that has the most customer demand and most interest gets me excited because of course, everybody wants to be in business and make money and you make money from customers. And these businesses like flat out, no matter what, I mean, flat out will sell shoes with me doing nothing. As long as I have that website up, it, no marketing, nothing. They'll find it and they'll buy those shoes. So like, I know I'm never going to get rid of that business because there's a customer base that I it's so passive. You know, I could I could I could put a lot of money into it and let a lot of money into marketing and take it really, really far. Or I could let it be a passive income generating business with very little overhead. It's my decision. So I'm never going to get rid of that one. With Popcom, it was so different and disruptive as far as for the vending industry to use things like facial recognition, which we use and machine learning and the technology that I had my team integrate into the machine. It was just so new that I, I knew it was like game changing. And I was happy that I was the one that had this idea and the ability to do something that's changing the whole industry. So that made me keep going. And I know that anything that's game changing, industry changing and changes customer behavior is very hard and takes time. It's just, it's just not going to be easy. And I was, you know, I'm up for it. And, you know, the, what kept me going is that every time an obstacle will come, a customer will come wanting it. And I knew that if I built it, I would get customers. And so I didn't stop. But if there was a moment where like people didn't want it, I definitely wouldn't have invested millions into building these products in 10 years into doing this, but they want it. And they, and they've proven that now today, the product is out and they are buying and I have some great customers. So what I find interesting about you as well is that you are an inventor. 
um, and you have you have you hold patents, right? Which is very unusual um, for Black people. I think it's something like two percent of all patent holders are Black um, in the United States. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one thing that fascinated me. So, you know, what are your patents for, and and how did you become an inventor and decide to go ahead and patent things? So I have one patent awarded. I would love to take credit for more, but I have one patent awarded and then I have one patent pending, um, a utility patent that could just take some time to to get through. And I think that, you know, understanding intellectual property and the power of ownership of an idea, concept, a way of doing business, a system is how the American Titans were able to become wealthy. You know, many of the inventions that are the inventions that shaped our industry, shaped our society were actually invented by black people. And we were not allowed to hold patents. We were not allowed to put our name on things. And so when I started to get out into the world of like raising money and they say, do you have something, you know, is this is this defensible? Do you have any intellectual property? It made me start thinking deeply about everything that I did and say, can I build something that is patentable? Can I invent something that can be, you know, secured and that actually adds more value to my business is something that no one else can do or have. So that's what made me say, okay, can I patent anything from my vending machine? And so I patented the, the design of the machine. The design is very unique and different and it's something that no one else has done. So I've done that. And now I'm working to patent the process. So the utility of the software. And that takes a little bit longer because we integrate so many different technologies into our software that we have to show that how we're using the technology is different and things happen every day, every day, every day, you know? So the patent examiner will come back and forth, we go back and forth. So sometimes it can become a, a definitely a long process, but it's worth it. And, and IP is beyond a patent. You know, you can have a copy, copywriting your, your content, you can trademark things. And, and so I have multiple trademarks and also copyright on content. So just like anything that you can protect, it does add value. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, lots of people, I tell people, don't give your intellectual property away for free, right? Like watch doing things on the internet for free um, because it's hard to get someone to invest in a business when you don't actually own anything. Yes. If all you have is a book, that's that's actually not enough anymore. Exactly. It's just, it's just, or, you know, it's not enough as far as um, defensibility, you know, or just at scale, because at the end of the day, you need something that no one else can duplicate. It's just, I mean, or, or you got to be the first to market and make it viral. You got to be the first one, you know, how, there's so many things that have come out over the years and like the first person to put it out got really popular and then everybody would jump on it because they didn't have a patent on it, mm -hmm. but they were the first one. So their brand is the one that's the most recognizable. What I like to use an example of very good branding is Kleenex. Kleenex is a brand, but people will be like, hand me a Kleenex. Can you bring me a Kleenex? It could be a Target brand tissue. Mm -hmm. It's a somehow Kleenex has been able to build a, such a strong brand that they call every tissue Kleenex when it's not. And so if you can't patent something, they certainly didn't invent tissue. It's just mm -hmm. tissue. If you can't patent something, you better build a hell of a strong brand to where 
people don't even want the other product because your brand, even though it's not even better, your brand says something. It means something. Same thing for like a bottled water. How many bottled waters are out there? Why is some bottled water a dollar and some five? Mm -hmm. It definitely comes down to the brand a lot of times because when they test these bottled waters, this be tap water. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the brand. You see that brand. Oh, I want this brand because life water looks pretty on the bottle. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, that's giving you that edge. It doesn't mean your bottled water tastes better. So that's what I tell entrepreneurs who can't patent something like me. I couldn't patent my flat outs because I didn't invent the functionality of a shoe that rolls and folds. But I can create a brand that's recognizable and that people really, really support. So when you are choosing to invest in other businesses, when you're operating as an angel investor, um, what kind of things are you looking for? And first, actually, tell folks what an angel investor is. For us. A, a, a person, an accredited individual, so generally a high net worth person that invests their own money that they have, their own money, into businesses that they want to support, invest in, or believe in. It's the difference between a venture investor is they're investing other people's money. Angels invest their own money. And angels generally write smaller checks. I mean, maybe between 5000 and 250000 That's a big angel. And they do some, some do exist. But generally, I've found in my experience, my largest angel investment check from an individual was $100,000. And, you know, could you explain to folks, you know, some people think it takes a million dollars to start a business. And clearly, you know, if your biggest angel check was 100, it did not take you a million to get started. You know, what are the kind of, (laughs) you know, it depends on the kind of business. Some businesses do cost a million dollars to get started. Don't build one of those if you don't think you're going to be able to get the money. So. Um, it's really important to understand before you start how much it's going to take you to get to your path to profitability and how much, um, is required to really build that business. I mean, like you said, it's like, it can feel like a million dollars. If you're building what I'm building, it costs me $6 million to get in business. That's a lot. I didn't anticipate that. That was not the plan, but flat out cost me 10,000 to get into business. And I mean, really in business, inventory, website, all the things that I needed for a whole business, Microsoft licenses, emails, and everything I needed for the whole business, promo items, flyers, $10,000. That's amazing. This was was 12 years ago, (laughs) but you know, that wasn't a lot. And then I was able to make, turn that into a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars within my first year. So that was good. And it was just me working in another person so I could live off of that. I pay myself a salary and live off of that. I never had the desire to turn it into a million dollar business because I said, if I'm going to make a million, I'm going to pay out a half. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do that. I'll just make enough to pay me what I want to pay me. And that's why it's called a lifestyle business as opposed to like you building it on to an enterprise. So when you are acting as an angel investor, you know, what are the things that you look for? I imagine some of it is gut. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of angel investors who were like, I just had a feeling this is a good one. Um, yeah. On the gut, what are, what are the things that you look for in what you think will be a successful investment? I mean, it really comes down to the founder. People people always told me, and now I really know it's true, is people don't invest in the business, they invest in the person and the founder. Like, can you do this? What makes you the best person to do this? What makes, like, do you have what it takes? Are you not going to quit and just walk away and be like, I'm, I'm not going to do this, forget this investor money? 
you know, I, like somebody that's going to go hard for the business. They believe in it. They're going to ride it out and they care. You know, they want to return the investor money. They also want to build something for themselves. So like, what is your why? Why are you doing this? It can't ever just be for money because that never works. So it has to be something else. And and when your why is strong enough, you'll never give up. You'll never quit. That's why I've never quit. And so I failed, but I never failed in business because I never gave up. I never quit. Even in the moments where it seemed like no other way, I still didn't quit. I look for people like that. And have have, have your, all of your angel investments been successful or have you seen any pitfalls so far? And have failed yet, but success, success, how do you measure success? So is success the businesses are still in business and they're generating money? Yes. Is success as an investor a return to me? I haven't got a return yet. So as an investor, my success is do I get my money back? Do I make the right investment that's going to give me a return? But I won't know that because you have to understand you're going to hold an investment minimum of five years, likely 10. So when I invested in these businesses in 2020 and 2021, I'm investing for my future. I'm investing for when I'm 50, 51, 52 in my 50s. So I don't even think about it. You know, as long as they're still in business, they're still trying. Cool. You're working for us. I don't really bother them. I give them time. So we'll see. You know, let's circle back in five years and see what how successful of an angel investor I am, how good my bets are, because it's really just placing bets. You really don't even know all bets. Even you look at these big companies that end up failing that venture capitalists put hundreds of millions of dollars into and they fail. That was a big bet and it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So Everything could look good. All of the patterns could align and it could be wrong and it could fail. Or it could be like all the odds against it. No way this business should do this. And it takes off and it's the one. It really comes down to like betting. So I think you don't brag on yourself enough because, you know, the SBA statistics are that 90% of businesses fail within a year, right? So (laughs) you've got your angel investments that have lasted more than a year. And you have all of your businesses lasting more than a year. So you're already in the top 10%. Like you're out, you're outdoing, outperforming the VCs. You know, 90% of VCs fail. And you've got businesses that have made it more than a year. Uh, so I think your formula is you probably should be teaching it and charging more for teaching it. Thanks. You know, I think you're right. And I think to myself, I definitely give myself credit for being in business, staying in business through two recessions, still making money, still support myself all of this time. But I'll say to myself, well, why don't you make more money? Like, why don't you make millions, more millions? You know, I've raised millions, but why aren't you generating millions in revenue? And that I think that's what the society will judge as a success. But like I said in the beginning of this, I haven't tried, especially on the flat outside. I like to being a lifestyle business that generates income. And I had to embrace that. Like, hey, if you wanted to have a multi-million dollar revenue business, you could have done that. You did not do any of the things required to do that because that's not what you really want. And so I think for me, I'm just now in my career now in the 22 year mark. And I'm like, okay, I'm looking back on my career like this has been successful because I've done what I wanted and what I felt was success and good for me, not measuring myself on anyone else's success metric or comparing myself. But for years, I did compare myself. You know, I did until I finally said, you know what, I'm on my own path and I'm going to do things, you know, do things my way. So I appreciate you putting in that perspective, like, you know, just being around 15, 16 years in business and every single year making money 
for 15, 16 years straight is definitely something to be proud of. Absolutely. And and I think when I counsel students and I talk to entrepreneurs, so many people want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg um, or they want to be the next Bill Gates. So pay me to be him. <laughs> stress level? No, thank you. <laughs> well, and I think what people don't realize is there are lots of folks like you who are able to build successful businesses and operate for 20 plus years and have the lifestyle that they want and the balance that they want without trying to scale so big so fast. Like not every business is Microsoft. Yes, because think about it. Okay, let's say as a CEO, you're like, I want to make, let's say you want to make a half a million a year. That's reasonable. Okay. You can go and just build a business that makes, let's say 2.5 million a year in revenue, pay yourself a half a million and the rest be operations. You don't got to do all of that. Or you can go build this huge business like a Microsoft, which they make, that CEO makes that much money. They do way more work. They have way more overhead, way more stress. You're making the same amount. You have way less stress. Same thing when entrepreneurs talk about like building the business to get in a, being a unicorn. If you're a unicorn, which you have a billion dollar valuation, you as the founder likely own less than 3% of that business. So you are not a billionaire. So what are you really? You might be a 10, 20, 50, even 100 millionaire, say 100 million. You can get to be a 100 millionaire without having a billion dollar business. You don't have to do that. You just build a business that's worth a couple hundred million and don't liquidate, don't sell all your equity. Keep it for yourself. So there's different ways to to get to that outcome. If you want, a, if you if you're judging it by like a certain amount of money you want, and that's how I kind of gauge it. How much money do I want to bring into my house? It doesn't. I, I judge it off of that instead of like what it looks like to the public. You know, is my business worth X million dollars? But how much is really in my pocket? And that's what I think people should think about more. What are you really going to bring home after all of that? Because the overhead and the operational costs are so high to run these businesses that you're not really left with a lot to pay yourself as a as a CEO and founder. Now, we've mentioned balance and lifestyle a lot, mm-hmm. and um, we haven't discussed how you are both a wife and a mother and you are operating in multiple locations. How do you do all of that and run all your businesses? I think, well, now my daughter's in college, so I'm an empty nester now, but I did have her. I was an entrepreneur her whole life because she's 18, and I definitely had a lot of support. I will not pretend like I have not had a tribe and my family that was helpful, you know, and friends. I definitely have needed a, a lot of support to do that. Now I'm in a different place, and my husband and I, we're, we've been together for three years. So I was single, a single mom all these years doing this. I I can't give advice on how to balance it all with a young child and a husband. You know, I, I don't know how to do that. But I will say there's no balance. It's always about prioritizing what's important, who and what's important at that time. So I just every day set my priorities. And some days my family and my daughter are the priority and work has to wait. Some days work's a priority and family has to wait. Mm-hmm. Some days I can give them almost equal attention. But I don't feel bad about any of those things because I make sure that everything important to me receives its own time and becomes a priority when it's appropriate. It is amazing that you were single parenting for most of your daughter's life while launching these businesses. Like that is phenomenal. Yeah, I I did. But I did have a lot of help with my mom and my family. And um, 
a co-ops. I was I homeschooled my daughter since second grade, but I had communities of homeschooled parents that were very, very helpful. And how are you balancing, you know, I, I you're in Ohio. Or do you also have offices in Atlanta? No, I, I, you know, COVID changed things. So I used to have that ambition of offices everywhere, but now we don't need that, right? I have my laptop and some Wi-Fi. So I work from LA a lot, Atlanta a lot. That's where my daughter goes to school. Columbus is where my office is. I do have an office. This is it. Mm-hmm. And if this is exactly what it looks like. And it's in Columbus, Ohio. And um, mainly it's just used for like team team meetings. And we have now several vending machines and, and products in there that we go in there and test with. And then um, I have a couple other, you know, brick and mortar locations, but I really love this remote work from anywhere life. And I, I don't, I don't want any more brick and mortar physical locations. So I really love that now since, you know, COVID happened, it's much more accepted to be everywhere. So I work from all over the place. I mean, I travel constantly. Nobody ever really knows where I'm at because I'm always in the office on Zoom Mm -hmm. and that's all that matters. And do you allow all of your employees to work from home as well? Oh, yeah, they can do. They It was like that before because I built a business that I wanted to work for. So a lot of the rules that we had before COVID about like everybody could work from home whenever they wanted. We always had unlimited vacation days and time off. There's no PTO whenever you don't want. Are you sick? Okay, get better. Unlimited sick days, unlimited, you know, because I, I work with people that are responsible and they know how to manage that. And it's always went well because I, what's the point of like being an entrepreneur if you got to work for a company with all the rules you hate? I got to create the rules. So I, I, the culture of the company is the culture that I wanted to work for. And luckily I found other people that like this culture as well. So it's very flexible. It's very free. I encourage people to do other things like, hey, get a side hustle, get a hobby. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? So most people on my team are entrepreneurs and have other things they do just like me. How could I have five businesses and then tell them they can't do anything else? That's insane. So, you know, we have health and wellness reimbursement. So like if you go to the gym or want to get a massage, we'll reimburse you for that once a month for something that's a self-care reimbursement. We do just like, you know, I'll treat them to dinners and send Uber Uber Eats. Definitely during the pandemic, they were always getting Uber Eats gift cards just to try to brighten their day and treat them to a meal and, and, and things like that. So the culture is just so important for for a company you can pick the culture you pick how you want things to go i love that you consider culture to be self-care and wellness and like trusting instead of being physically in the building i feel like you're going to get a hundred job applications <laughs> when people definitely my you team, they stay. i will say my my team stays we don't have a lot of turnover i've worked with the same people for a long time if they're if they're not there anymore it just was like timing for the business but I, I do create an environment that people want to be in. That, that's what my goal is. I want them to be happy at work. I want them to want to come and want to log in to Slack every day. We open our day every day. Is every, the team check-in is a gratitude every day for years, like six years. Every day we check in what you're grateful for in the morning. That's your way of like clocking in. Like, what are you grateful for today? Because it's always something to be grateful for. And so it was, you know, just another way of just driving that culture. That's amazing. That's that's I wish everyone's workplaces would operate that way. I really do. Thank you. Now, you mentioned that, you know, when you pursue other businesses, you want to know what the entrepreneur's why is. So I'd love to hear what your why is. What makes you keep going? 
definitely generational wealth and really creating a mindset and a shift for my people and just showing them like my why is to create more wealth in my community, really by education and being an example. And then by, you know, I have 10,000 plus investors. And I would say 90% of my investors are black, non-white. And that's big because it's not a lot of times in history where this many black people were had opportunity to get into early stage investing. Actually never happened before, never in history until, you know, the Jobs Act where you can get into these deals. So I really want to have a big win. That's my why, like changing the way that we move with money, um, really showing like you can invest and get your money back, helping to instill trust in each other as business people. So many times we'll be like, even growing up, oh, it's a black business. It's just automatically expected to be not top tier, you know, changing the expectation of dealing with each other and doing business with each other. And that is something that's like my why, you know, of course, on the deeper side, my daughter, you know, creating a legacy for my family, for the future of my family. What do I want my great, great grandchildren? What do I want their lives to be like? I need to put things in place today for that. You know, where do I want them to grow up? What kind of environment? So I want them to be somewhere where they can get shot going to school or the grocery store or where a, a woman could be raped and I get an abortion. Like, do I want them to be in a country like that? So I, a big motivation has been moving my family out of the United States. So that's my underlying why. That's amazing. You know, I, I just, I vibe with all of that. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so meaningful and it's so important because, you know, it really is, you know, about building legacy and building community. And I appreciate what you're doing and how you are running your workplace and, and just, you know, everything that it is you're doing. Thank so you. my next question for you is how can me and my listeners support you and your businesses and all the fabulous things you are doing? Well, thanks for asking. Um, definitely the top of mind is, hey, if you like what I'm doing with PopCom, Pop Shop Local, you want to support, I would love to have you as a member of our investor community. We have over 10,000 investors, minimum investment, $100. And it's at startengine.com forward slash PopCom. Also, just, you know, support my content. I have blogs if you're an entrepreneur or just interested in like the topics about building your board and not getting fired from your company, how to create ownership, how to crowdfund, how to build a team, how to build a company culture. It's free content I have on my medium medium. So just read my medium blog. You know, that's great support for me because I'm writing a book and the more people that read my blog, it just shows like, hey, people will be interested in reading my book. So that's a free thing. Also, just absorb any of my content on YouTube. It's out there to help. And I put a lot of time into sharing content. So I want it to be you know, I want it to be heard. And, and I have a I have a really good podcast called Bars. And it, I interview some of the country's top entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's on YouTube as well. And just listen to that. And I hope that it does what it's supposed to do, which is to empower all of us and give us access to what we don't know. Because a lot of times and all the time, you don't know what you don't know until you find out. And normally it's the hard way. So if I can try to prevent another entrepreneur or business owner from learning a lesson the hard way, that could be very costly with time and money. I'm always trying to do that. So I've put a lot out there to try to help the community um, not make the mistakes that I made and people before me because we just didn't have access to how to do it the right way. And I think that is one advantage of social media is that now you can get access to someone like you and all of your knowledge and so much of what you're giving away is free. 
right? So it is important to use those resources. There's no need to go in blind anymore. Yes, no need. I mean, it was when I started 20 years ago, there was no resources, zero, none, especially for building a tech company. What it they wasn't even called a tech company when I built a tech company. They didn't have that name yet. It wasn't called a startup. That wasn't a name yet. So now it's just like there's no reason to to not know because it's out there. So what is next for Don Dixon? What do we do? What are you doing next? Next, I am really focused on my retirement. Um and what that means for me. And, um, you know, in my exit, I want to definitely sell my businesses and give my investors a return. So anybody that ever invested any money with me, I want it all back in their bank account. That really makes me excited every day. Like, let me give all these people money back because once they get their money back from me, they'll invest in somebody else. I know they will because they, they'll have confidence in what investing is. And so that's next for me is just focusing on that. And then once I do that and 10,000 plus people have confidence in my word, I'm going to build a community. I'm going to build a town. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So like, which, where would you do this town or do you have an idea yet? Out of the country in Africa. I love it. Yes. I love it. Yes. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And whoever yeah. wants to come to the town, pull up and let's build a town. Keep me in mind, like keep me posted. <laughs> yeah, so we'll take this money I exit with and, you know, definitely build a farm, self-sustaining and just really just um, help us get back to our roots of, of herbs and natural healing and growing our own food and caring for ourselves and having our own businesses and being self-sustaining as a people, as a black people of the diaspora. Everybody brown is welcome. Now, I always close out with this question. When I talk to my entrepreneurs, if you could go back in time to the 22 years ago when you started, what advice would you give yourself? I'll say, girl, keep going because it works. It worked out. Literally everything Young Dawn did, mistakes, the good stuff, everything. It, I mean, she did a good job of designing the life for 43-year-old me. And I'm very happy. So just keep doing it. D don't do anything different because it works out. All the things that feel like it's a disaster, it actually works out later. Just keep doing it. Like, I'm serious. All of it. I would not change a single thing. The advice is you don't have to feel bad about what you're doing because at the time, being an entrepreneur was not popular. So I got a lot of, you know, a lot of flack from my family and people and homeschooling my daughter and, and being a vegan in 2007, mm -hmm. all these radical things I was doing, I was an outlier for sure. I was an outcast for sure. It was a lonely time. I didn't stop. I kept going, but it was a lonely time. And I would just tell myself it works out. So thank you for even thugging it out for me because now I have life of my dreams and I wouldn't have it if she wouldn't have kept going. That is so important for a 22 year old to hear, because I think it is so easy to conform and so easy to be just like everyone else. And you have managed to carve out a path of success by being you, being true to you and and accepting the accepting the failures and not not acknowledging them as failures. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm glad you could carve out the time. Thanks. Thank you all for tuning in to Getting Common. If you ever miss an episode, you can catch the rebroadcast anywhere podcasts are streamed on the Voice America website and on our YouTube channel. 
feel free to email me through the show page or to reach out to me on social media. I'm at Carla C. And then give me all of your handles for all of your businesses and I'll make sure I upload them and post them. Thank you. We're Popcom Tech. So Popcom Tech on everything. Flat out of heels on everything. And then I'm Dawn Dixon on basically everything. On Twitter, I'm the Dawn Dixon. But everything else, I'm Dawn Dixon. D-I-C-K-S-O-N. I'm on Medium and YouTube and everything is just Dawn Dixon. So luckily, I was able to get my name on lock. So and yes. then my website, which basically landing page for all things, you can find all, all of my links, DawnDixon.me. So you will find everything there. All right. And definitely check out Dawn's content. It is phenomenal. It's very informative. You know, there are moments when I'm like, this feels like free law school or free business school Good. to go That's to her websites. So take advantage. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.